We're going to continue on in the Exodus series. Um, Kelly gave me Exodus 32. It's the story of the golden calf. Um, we're going to, if you guys are following along, I think the scripture is going to come up there. And we're just going to start from the beginning. <clears throat> Actually, one thing I wanted to say. Um, I'm not special. There's nothing special about me. If there's one thing I can tell you guys is I'm a sinner that just decided to follow Jesus. That's it. I'm a sinner just like everybody. Um, and there are times I still struggle in my sin. And that's kind of what this story is about. So for all of you guys who are like, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about Christianity, and, or maybe for some of you who have been Christians your whole life and think, I'm not a sinner anymore. Guess what? We're all sinners, okay? And we've just decided, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's the only difference. Um, all right, let's start. So it says, uh, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival. So there's going to be a party. To the Lord. So weird. Um, so the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. In another uh, translation, it says they indulge in debauchery. What is going on with these people again? How many times has this happened to the Israelites? They, how many times have they said, let's go back to Egypt? Moses, what have you done? You just brought us out here to the wilderness, and it'd be better if we were back in Egypt. And now, just to give some context of what's going on here in the scripture, is um, remember, Israel had been enslaved for about 400 years, all right? So they've been enslaved longer than they've been out of Egypt, all right? So that's important to realize. There's only been a short amount of time that God has brought them, that God has set them free. Um, not only that, this is the second time Moses has left them. Their leader, their president, right? Their prime minister. He gets up and he leaves. All right? So this is the second time. And they say when, um, at this point, the second time, Moses has been gone for about a month, for about 30 days kind of crazy. He's been gone 30 days, and everyone's like, what is going on? Like, he's gone. So what are we going to do? We're going to do what we know how to do best. <laughs> we're going to go back to partying, and actually, we're going to go back to our old ways. So what did they decide to do? What is this thing with the calf, with the golden calf? So uh, when Kelly gave me this this passage to go over, the one thing that always comes to mind is the Ten Commandments. If you guys have ever seen that movie um, with Charlton Heston, there's this weird scene they add. There's the actual scene of the golden calf and this big golden calf. There's a lady laying down at the bottom of the calf, and all these people are worshiping it, and it just is weird. It's just weird. It's just flat out weird. And when he gave it to me, that's my first recollection of 
I'm talking about idols? I'm talking about a calf? Like, I don't know how I'm gonna get this to relate to you guys. Um, when I had a minute just to like think about it and pray about it, I thought to myself and I was like, I don't really have any idols, God. I really don't have any idols. There's no idols, like, I don't have anything. I don't bow down to a golden calf. I don't bow down to things. That, you know, there's statues, you know, that people, like in India, there's, there's like, I read there's like 30 million gods that they worship, and they actually bow down and they'll worship these things, you know, and they'll give food to them and burn candles. I don't do that. I'm not that guy. And uh, in my prayer time, God did kind of that Darth Vader chokehold quickly convicted me, quickly, and started reminding me from almost the moment I could remember how many times in my life I've had idols. And my family will tell you I like to idolize things. <laughs> I obsess over things. I love things. Um, I love basketball. And I grew up in the 90s, so I'm a 90s kid. And so I grew up loving the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, all right? The best, hands down. I idolized this man. I had the shoes, I had Jumpman outfit every single day. I lived, breathed basketball. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I prayed, God, please make me to be 6'6", 165. Please, Lord Jesus, please. And send me to, um, to North Carolina, please, Lord God. That never happened. I'm here. I'm here. I got into music. I love music. I love playing guitar. I, you know, um, I was in bands in high school and bands afterwards. And um, man, my next idol, Jimi Hendrix. I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. That's who I wanted to be. And for any of you who knew me back then, you guys would know I had long hair. I dressed like Jimi. I tried talking like Jimmy. I tried playing guitar. I bought a Stratocaster. One of my first guitars my dad bought me was a Stratocaster. It was an Olympic white exact copy of Jimi Hendrix because I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. And God reminded me, Fernando, you have had idols. It's just in this country, idols look different. And you've been blinded by one, the materialistic things and the consumerism. It looks so different here. It doesn't look like it does in other countries. Um, so I will tell you that God slapped me first. So um, when I speak this to you guys, I'm saying this because God actually convicted me first in my heart um, and actually brought me to ground zero. Um, so let's, let's look at what's going on, on here. You guys have heard that song, Amazing Grace, right? Everybody knows that song, right? Such a great song. Now, you would say that when um, Israel, um, oh snap, you guys are in trouble, because I didn't set my timer. I'm starting it now. Okay. Thank you. Um, so you guys know that song, Amazing Grace, right? So when I was thinking about this scripture, and we're thinking about the Israelites and where they're at, right? When they got taken out of Egypt, you would say, Amazing Grace was their anthem, actually, right? God pulls them out of this place, Amazing Grace. Um, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
God pulls them out of this place of Egypt into now, I'm going to make you guys a people. I'm going to send you to your promised land. But what is happening now? What is happening now to them? Now they're worshiping this calf. Moses is gone. Their leader is gone. They're like upside down. They, it's almost like they had anxiety. They're impatient. And they're like, what do we do? Moses is gone. Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you ever, in your walk, or even if you're not a Christian, just felt like, man, I felt like I was in a good place, but now I'm not sure if I'm, I'm in a good place anymore. It's actually kind of funny because Israel's actually singing the opposite right now. They're actually saying to themselves, I once was found, but now I'm lost. But how ironic, because when I look back on my life, when I look back on just life in general, a lot of times we feel that way. Have you ever felt that way? Just feeling like, man, God, you were so good to me. Things were so good, but I really don't know where you're at anymore. And I think a lot of times that happens because we grow impatient. We feel lost. We feel unsure um, in our faith or in the path that we're walking. And a lot of times we feel like, what's next? Have you ever feel, have that feeling like, okay, what's next? This feeling of kind of, it's not really anxiety. It's just this impatience of, God, I'm saved. What's happening next, right? So let's kind of zoom out here and let's look at what's going on like a drone view, right? Well, there's a big disconnect. There's a big misunderstanding in this story. Who is their leader, right? They've been in captivity for about 400 years. So Pharaoh in Egypt is worshiped as a god. So even though they're Hebrews and they believe in Yahweh, it's hard to avoid the fact that they live in a country where they're in Egypt and everything is Egyptian and Pharaoh's worshiped as a god. Moses comes along and does all these amazing things and comes on behalf of I am, on behalf of Yahweh, and now he starts doing all these great things. And they're like, yes, we got our leader. Moses is awesome, and I agree with them. Moses is awesome. But what happens when Moses leaves? What happens in your life when the person that you put all your trust in, or that thing you put all your trust in, could be your finances, could be your image, could be your husband, your wife, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. What happens when that person leaves? A lot of times, we end up feeling like the Israelites. We're, we're, we're scatterbrained and we're like, what, where do we go to next? What's going to happen next? And what do we do? We fall back into our old ways of what? Of where we came from, of Egypt. Um, so for us, I, saying idol, I mean, I don't even know if everybody in this room knows what an idol is, so it's kind of good to kind of just talk about what is an idol. An idol is the worship of anyone or anything who is not God. Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. That's incredible, right? And that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. There's a, a quote, I don't know, Jared, if you put it up. Um, John Calvin says it like this, the human heart is an idol factory. That's all we do. We just pump out idols. The newest thing, right? Like hydro flasks. Everybody had, what's up with that? Hydro flask. Really? That's a thing. 
like, I, I don't know, like out of nowhere, Isaiah and everybody, like we all have hydroflasks. <laughs> I even have mine. We just, we find something and we cling to it and it's like, this is it, I have to have it. Everyone else has it, I have to have one. You know, it's just like Starbucks. Everybody else has Starbucks, I have to have a Starbucks. I don't really like it, but I'll have to have it. Um, there's this, the next quote um, from C.S. Lewis. Just to give you some kind of context, C.S. Lewis in this quote is talking about books or music because those are things that he idolizes, things that he's talking to in the context of this quote. And he says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of the flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, and news from a country we have never yet visited. Powerful. C.S. Lewis, oh my gosh. Like, incredible, right? What is C.S. Lewis talking about, though? He's talking about something that the Israelites are having issues with. They're putting all their trust into something, right? Is the issue the golden calf? Is that the issue? Is the issue Moses being gone? And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. C.S. Lewis is saying, it's not the thing itself. Israel, you guys are getting it all wrong. That's just an image. It's the image of something you guys are longing for. It was actually made for you guys to actually have joy and actually, um, like, to actually have glory. Like, you get glory from that thing, right? But it's not for you. It's not meant for you. It's actually just an image of the invisible God. So what does Jesus say about idols? You guys know that Jesus talked about idols? What did he say about them? He uses a different word, and we're going to go to Matthew, uh, let's see here, Matthew 6, 19. Jesus uses a different word. He talks about treasures, treasures in heaven. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, of the, lamp of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Incredible, because I feel like here in America, we... It's kind of like a balancing act between the two. Money is so powerful, and it's the consumerism. It's the materialistic thing. It's all the things we want to be. It's the image, right? Um, I want the new cell phone. I want the new iPad. I want the new laptop. I want the new car. I want the new house. Um, but that filters into so many different areas of our lives. So what are your idols? I'm going to kind of just list some idols because um, I think it's good. Image, right? Image could be an idol. Sex could be an, an idol. 
Money could be an idol. Popularity, marriage, your relationships, your friendships. Your ministry could be your idol. I could say there's been moments in my life where Carrie's like, this thing is overtaking you. You need to step back. And I realized that it could be an idol where it's just all-consuming. That's all you think about. How about our education in this country is a huge one. I read that the, the debt of, um, what's it called, of um, college debt, right, of um, student loans, student debt, has now exceeded the national debt. It's now exceeded, and the national debt is like $3 trillion. Where is your heart? As parents, where is our hearts? Do we want our kids to be so successful that we actually have them forsake these other things that the Bible talks about? How about our country? Is your idol your country? That's a big one. How about your race? How about your gender? How about your retirement? How about, for some of you, for the younger people in here, the party life? That's your idol. You just want to party. You want to be around that. Drinking, getting high. But what about other things that are kind of more subvert, that are under the radar? How about your pain? Yee. Your pain can be your idol and how you react to people. And people are like, wow, why is, why is he acting out or why is he lashing out on me? Your pain, your brokenness, your bitterness becomes your idol and you don't even know it. How about your anxiety? Where, remember, an idol is just that thing that absorbs all your time. It dethrones God and all you're doing is thinking more about your anxiety than you are God. Your unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a huge one. And that becomes an idol in your life. And all you're worrying about is the things that people did to you. That's a hard one, and I understand that, and I get that. But is that an idol? How about our mouths and the things our mouths say? The ability to cut people down. There's some people that are wordsmiths, and they're so good at it. And it's like, I'm so good at this. I'm not. But it's just like, you know, you have those moments where you're just like, you just see people just rip into people. I'm the person that's always thinking, after the argument, I should have said this. I should have said that. <laughs> but some of you guys, the ability to cut people down is your idol because you know you're good at it. And then you have the Israelites. And this is a hard one. How about the good old days? The good old days. Do you remember the good old days? You remember when things were good? Remember that? When milk was 25 cents? I don't know. I don't know. The good old days. That's what people say, right? When things were the way they used to be. I like the way things used to be. I really liked it like that. I don't like all this change. I don't like the way things are, you know? Maybe your husband wants to change things up and wants, his, wants the house to look differently. Carrie knows that. The, the exterior of the house, and it's like, what was wrong with it before? And the Israelites are saying that. The Israelites are like, what about back then? Moses, this is great. We're on a journey. 
But back then, things were good, and I liked it back then. But what is God saying? What does God say about the good old days? I like to say, um, and I tell tribe this, the youth group, there's good ideas, and then there's God ideas. To the Israelites, this was a good idea, but it was not a God, God idea. That's the difference. In your life, ask yourself, your idols, is this a good idea or is this a God idea? I really want to buy this. I really need this thing in my life. I need a new car. I need a house. I need a girlfriend. I need a wife. I need a husband. I, do you really need that? Is that just a good idea or is it a God idea? And like I said, I, I was telling you guys that I thought to myself, I don't have idols. Um, and I was brought back to this incident that happened with Carrie and I, and it was one of the most brutal stories, one of the, the hardest times I've ever been through. And when we bought our house in Upland, it was, a, it was in shambles. The house was a mess, and we, we spent a lot of time renovating the house and getting it just up to par. We finally, months later, are able to move into the house, but we didn't have the money to spend on a security system or spend on a, new gates. Um, and Carrie and I were both working, and one day Carrie and I go to work, and I get a phone call. She had come back to work first, and her and the neighbor um, had, the neighbor had noticed that the house, something didn't look right with the house, and um, somebody had burglarized our house. And they wiped us clean, clean. They probably had hours there all by themselves. It was so bad, they left. We had one of our cars there. They took the keys to the car. They loaded up everything in the car, and they left with the car. I know, it sounds funny, and it's hilarious now, and it was not funny then. <laughs> That's how bad it was. But let me tell you, the hardest thing for me is that being a musician, and I had been a musician for a long time, I had acquired some like 12, 13 guitars, I had a bunch of amps, I had all my gear, and because we had been playing a lot of shows, all my gear was still in cases. And so they just literally grabbed stuff, put it in the car, they were grabbed, they took, Carrie, Carrie was working at Starbucks, so she's not allowed to wear jewelry, so she left her wedding ring there, they took all her jewelry, they took her laptop, they took everything, they wiped us clean. That destroyed me. I was good for a few months, but I realized later, everybody would ask me, how are you doing, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. God is good, God is good. And I sat there wallowing in my pain and realizing um, I'm not good. And it wasn't until reading this scripture that my idol was collecting instruments. I loved it, I loved it. I'm currently rebuilding a guitar right now that's ready tomorrow. I'm so excited, but I feel convicted now that I read this. <laughs> I can't wait to get it, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I guess I could wait. <laughs> All right, so let's, the next uh, portion of the scripture, um, I'm just going to kind of, because I'm running out of time here. Oh my gosh. Um, time is of the essence. So the next part of the story, if you guys kind of want to follow along, is 32 uh, chapter 7. So what happens is Moses is up on the mountain, right? He's up on the mountain, and God tells him, your people are, 
Your people down there, they're having a party and they're running amok down there. God sees. So I'm going to use this analogy, all right? Let's use this analogy God, that you're a house, all right? You're a house. And this is what God is doing. He's showing Moses. These people, I'm going to show you them. I'm going to show you a view of them from the top. Look at their house. Look inside their house. Look inside your house and I want you to see everything that's inside of them, all the things that they're dealing with here. Because we have some issues that we have to deal with. And the way I'm going to deal with it, you don't even want to know how I, wanted, how I want to deal with it. Because number one, the first and second commandment just straight up say, don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. I'm a jealous God. And this whole story of the Exodus is a continuation of the story of Genesis. What is God trying to do? He's trying to reconcile his people back. But he sees there's a bigger issue here in these people's hearts. And he's showing Moses their house. So if you were to look at your house today, you're, you know, if you're a house, what's in your house? There's a throne in everybody's house. Who is sitting on that throne? Because Israel, the exterior of their house might have looked like a tabernacle, that Kelly spoke about, but on the inside, it was all decorated like the Egyptians. They carried all this stuff inside of them. And on that throne, honestly, I kind of feel like was Moses was on that throne to a certain extent. Because Moses disappears and they freak out. Do they worship Pharaoh? Do they worship Moses? Do they worship Aaron? Do they worship an invisible God? They're not understanding. And that's us. We don't understand. We don't get it. So there's this, there's a bigger problem that God's identifying. Moses, there's a bigger problem and we have to, we have to take care of this problem. And, and God's way, Old Testament way of dealing with it is pretty harsh. He says, actually, let's wipe them out. Let's wipe them out and we'll start all over again, Moses. And Moses says, no, 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 no. No, we're not starting over. Don't do that. It's going to go against everything that you've been doing. And, God, and Moses seeks favor with God. God says, okay, but it still has to be dealt with because no matter what, sin is sin. And so Moses goes back down the mountain. And long story short, uh, he gets in Aaron's face and he literally burns the, he burns the idol and he makes them drink it. That's pretty hardcore. He makes them drink the golden calf. And not only that, he says, all of you guys who are for God, come over here. And all the Levites come to him. And he says, we're going to go through the camp, take your swords, and we're actually going to go down and we're going to start chopping people down. Because the sin still has to be dealt with. God wants to wipe everybody out, but this is the way that we can actually appease God. 3,000 Israelites died. And God sends a plague, and in total, 3,000 uh, people die. What is God saying? There's a, uh, a line from a Bob Dylan song. He says, you can't win with the losing mind. You can't win with the losing mind. And that's what God is saying. You guys, the Israelites, you guys can't do it on your own. You guys cannot win. There's this undercurrent that's pulling these people back. Where is it pulling them back to? It's pulling them back to Egypt. And God is saying, Egypt is not a physical place. You guys keep on wanting to go back to Egypt. Egypt is not a physical place. 
it's an actual spiritual state of being. And I'm trying to pull you guys out of that. And I think a lot of us think that as soon as we raise our hands and we say, Jesus, save me. Make me a Christian. And we accept Jesus into our hearts that it's the yellow brick road for the rest of our lives. That life is good and everything's going to be perfect and I'm going to have a wife and I'm going to have kids and we're not going to have arguments and everything's going to be golden, right? We're going to just have the perfect life. Everything's going to be good. And you know what God is actually saying? No. You guys, there's things in your lives from your Egypt, I saved you out of. Kelly uses this great analogy, um, and it's a scripture of God pulls us up and puts us on this place. That's like God saving you, right? He puts you up, puts you on a rock. That's pulling you out of captivity. But he says, you're not done yet. There's still Egypt in your heart. There's still sin in your heart. And so son, daughter, I have to clean you up. All that tar, all that muck, all that stuff that's all over you, it has to come out. My daughters hate taking showers. I have no idea why. They hate it. But it's like we're that little kid that's like, don't touch me, God. You pulled me out. And he's like, no, I love you so much. I have to eradicate this stuff. I have to take this clothes off of you guys and put new clothes on you guys. Because you guys can't do it on your own. You guys have issues. We know we have issues. But it's like, you guys have issues. Man, I'm running out of time. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. We're just going to fast forward here. So what does Jesus say? There's a song um, we're talking about, and it says, who, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. John 8, 34 to 36. Let's just read that real quick. I don't know if the scripture's up there or not, but we're just going to read it. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So for us as Christians, we don't have to deal with, see God's radical way of dealing with sin was wiping everybody out, and he still wiped everybody out, or wiped 3,000 people out. But now Jesus comes dies, bears all of that. And now we get to actually, we don't have to die. We don't have to die that way. We die to ourselves, but Jesus already bore that. And Jesus says, you know how you escape these things? If I set you free, you are set free from these things. But I want you guys to know the Christian walk isn't just saying, I believe, and then everything's better. It's actually saying, I'm all in. And eventually, in time, things get better. We can't fix this problem on our own. I had a friend um, who wrote in a song once, he said, have we traded glory to glory for paycheck to paycheck? Ooh. Have we done that here in America? Have we traded glory to glory? Paul talks about we should be going from glory to glory. But have we substituted that from just going paycheck to paycheck just for the things that I need, the things that make me happy? Whatever makes me happy is what I need. God saved us from Egypt, our, our captivity, but he's still concerned about saving us from ourselves. 
from our mindsets, from our habits, our secrets, and our character. Because the undercurrent in this battle here, in this story that's pulling them back, in our lives today, do you know that the undercurrent isn't just, it wasn't just pulling them back to Egypt. It wasn't Pharaoh pulling these people back to Egypt, right? You guys know that? There's actually something else going on here. If there is a God, there is a devil. That's what pulls us back. That fight that we have to fight every single day that Paul talks about, fighting, that's the undercurrent that's trying to pull us back into this place where, why in the world I was saved from this a long time ago? Why is this thing coming back? Why am I battling with anger? Why am I battling with insecurity? Why am I battling with wanting to do these things that I didn't want to do, I shouldn't be doing? It's because the enemy, there's a real enemy. Just like there's a God, there's a real enemy that's trying to pull you back into these things. So what is your precious? What is your precious? You guys knew this was coming. (laughs) You guys knew it was coming. Lord of the Rings, Golem in his cave. What is your precious thing? that is in the caves of your heart that you don't want to give up, that you're like, you know what? Nobody knows. Only me in this cave, and I'm all about this. So if there's anything, when I'm praying for you guys, if there was anything that God gave me, this was the word for you guys. You guys need to address the things of your past to move forward in your future. You cannot move forward without dealing with your past. Only Jesus sets you free, but it's not just a one-and-done deal. So if you guys are struggling with things, if you guys have idols in your life, or if you're just like, why does this keep happening to me? It's because you guys have to deal with the junk of your past. You're trying to move forward, but it's like something keeps pulling you back, and you're like, why can't I run? Why, why does it seem like this person is so good, is such a good Christian, and they're moving forward? Well, more than likely, they've actually dealt with it. And you're wondering why things aren't going so well or why you're still struggling with things. It's because you haven't dealt with these things. So the response, what is the response to all this? The response is, Jesus, we cannot fix this problem on our own. These idols that we have in our hearts, they look different to everybody. Your precious is different to every single person in here. We can't fix that thing. Only Jesus can go down into that cave and pull that thing from you and help you through that. But sometimes it's actually just a community. It's a family thing. So I would love for the prayer team, if there's anybody that needs prayer, I would be willing to pray for you guys. If there are things in your past that you need to move forward with and you're like, I cannot move forward with these things, I would love to pray for you. There's idols in your life and you didn't realize they were idols. I would love to pray for you. So in summing it up, that's that's the message of this. God is pulling you out of Egypt, but deal with Egypt. Deal with it.